Most of you know that for several weeks we have been in the book of Jonah looking at the story of Jonah and how God called him to go to the people of Nineveh to preach a message of judgment. We know that that was not a task that Jonah wanted to submit himself to, so he decided to run from God. In doing so, he found himself on a ship uh, in, a, in the midst of a terrible storm. We know that he was eventually thrown over the side of that ship, and God had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was there for three days and three nights in the belly of that fish. And Jonah began to make things right with God. And one of the confessions he made in chapter 2 in verse number 8 was this, is that they that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. And essentially what Jonah was declaring was this, is when you listen to empty lies, you are going to mess your life up. When you listen to empty lies, you are going to put yourself in a position that you do not want to be put in. And so we talked about a couple of weeks ago how many times people listen to the empty lies of this world. Satan is going to come to us and he's going to, to tell us that this is the, the, the means of happiness, that if we'll just do this, this will provide us the joy or the contentment or the satisfaction in life that we want. But we have to remember that anything outside of obedience to God's will for our life is going to make us a miserable, miserable individual. And so as Jonah was wrestling with all this in his heart and mind and as he began to cry out to God and make things right with him, it, we, we read in the last verse of chapter 2 how the Lord spake unto the fish and it vomited out Jonah upon dry land. And I tried to remind us then that that is an experience that you and I cannot begin to imagine. We cannot begin to understand or to comprehend what that would have been like. But in verse number 1 it said, And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go unto Nineveh, the great city. So here is Jonah, and he has already run from God. He has already dealt with the consequences of that disobedience. And as he is trying to be made right with God, God says, Jonah, the task has not changed. The instructions have not changed. I want you to go to Nineveh, that great city, and I want you to preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee, or I want you to tell them what I tell you to say. And here was Jonah placed in a difficult position. I still don't want to go to Nineveh. I still don't want to do what I've been told to do. But I know that running from God does not produce what I want in life. And so I tried to remind us two weeks ago that there are going to be times in life that God is going to say, do this. And again, our flesh is going to cry out, that is not what I want to do. I do not want to do this. But we have to remember that the consequence of disobedience is always worse than any discomfort we may experience because of obedience. It is always better for you and I to obey, no matter how uncomfortable that step of obedience may be. That is where we're at in our story of Jonah. This morning we're going to look at several verses. They're familiar verses to many of us, but I want to begin with a thought that I know many of you can identify with. Some have said it in different ways. I'm probably going to butcher up the most familiar way in which this has been stated but how many of us have thought at different times in our life, I wish I had known then what I know now? I wish I had known then what I know now. It's amazing the maturing process that takes place in a person's life if we allow ourselves to mature and to grow. And if we could have only had that maturity years prior 
to when we finally acquired it, we could have saved ourselves so much pain and frustration and, and hard times. I was thinking about it as I was preparing for this message, as I was trying to get ahead and, and working ahead because of knowing that we'd be gone out of town. I, I was thinking about mine and Susie's marriage. I'm probably about to explain some things that, that happened in our marriage that probably never happened in your marriage. But they happened in our marriage in part because of our immaturity. You were not immature going into your marriage. I, I recognize that. But because of my immaturity and because of Susie's immaturity, uh, some things happened that I, I wish had not happened. Going into marriage, I assumed I am the leader. She will be that sweet, submissive follower. Who wouldn't want to follow this? Who would not want to follow the leadership that I could provide? And so there was this thinking on my part that we're going to get married and we're going to go to Bible college. We'll begin this new life together and it's going to be nothing but, but bliss and happiness and wonderful moments and, and things of that nature. And, and that lasted about 72 hours. Three or four days into the marriage, I, I don't know exactly when this happened, but here is what I began to to realize. Again, you may or may not be able to identify this, but I began to realize, you know what, we think different. We just think different. I see things from a very logical most of the time, non-emotional point of view. It's just, this is how it is. This is the logical approach to it. This is how we handle this. We, we don't need a lot of emotion. We don't need a lot of drama. This is just how we're going to approach it, and this is how we're going to address it. And that's how I saw things. And you know how Susie saw them? Well, quite the opposite of how I saw them. Many times I would look at her line of thinking and I would say, there's no logic in that. That makes absolutely no sense. Or, or there would be times that I would say something like this. Uh, we don't need all the drama. We don't need all the emotion. And, and many times in my marriage or in our marriage, because of my immaturity, I would say everything that crossed through my mind. It was fairly unfiltered. That did not produce the happiest of results in a marriage for me to tell Susie everything that I thought about her way of thinking. Does this make sense? Well, whenever I would express my lack of approval in her thought process, guess what she felt the liberty to do? She felt the liberty to express her lack of approval in my thought process. And so there were many times in the marriage that we would have conflict and that we would have frustrations and we would have arguments and, and we would have fights, not because we were necessarily wanting to go two totally different directions, but we just thought about things from different perspectives. Well, Susie and I have now been married a little over 20 years, and 
you understand this as well as I do, that whenever you live with someone that long, you do begin to better understand, and many times you can begin to anticipate how they are going to think and how they are going to respond to certain situations. Would that be true? If, if you've lived with your spouse long enough, you know because of some wisdom and because of some maturity and because of, of some times where you've said note to self, don't say that. Okay, because of those moments in your life, you, you have those, those times where you say, okay, I, I can kind of predict that my spouse is going to react this way or they're going to respond in this fashion. But as, as much as we know our spouse and as much as we think we know their thoughts and their reactions and what they're going to do, how many of us this morning would have to admit there are still times we totally miss it? I mean, we just absolutely miss what they were thinking. That is not at all what we thought they were going to do. That is not at all how, how we thought they were going to react. And, and, and maybe even sometimes we thought that might be a possibility, but we hoped it would not be the way that it was. And, and again, I don't know if this is how it would be in your marriage, but there are still times of conflict between Susie and I. Again, not because we're going in totally opposite directions, not because we just don't like each other and we hate each other, but, but we're, we're at, at odds with one another and there's conflict in the marriage simply because you're not doing what I thought you would do. You're not responding in the way I thought you would respond. You're, you're not doing what I had hoped you would do. You understand this thought? You understand this principle that there are times where we realize, you know, we don't think the same. And, and there are times that I can understand where you're coming from, and I'm okay with that, but there are times that you do some things and I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like it for a minute. I don't like it for a bit. And the fact that you have done things based upon your thinking differently than how I would do them based upon my thinking, it, it bothers me and it angers me and it frustrates me. Did I communicate that clearly or, or is that somewhat vague and ambiguous? All right. It, we, we get the idea. Okay. Moving on, here is what it says in verse number 1 of Jonah chapter 3. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So in verse number 3, what does Jonah do? It says in verse number 3, So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey, and Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Here is the message that God is going to bid Jonah to preach. These are the words that God is going to give Jonah to declare, that in forty days Nineveh is going to be overthrown. Now let's think about this for just a moment. For some amount of time, Jonah ran from God's will for his life. For some amount of time, he was on a ship that was nearing the point of being shipwrecked. For three days and three nights, Jonah spent himself in the belly of the well, and then Jonah was vomited up on dry land, not just himself, but whatever else would have been the contents of the stomach at that time. Do you think Jonah's looking his best right now? 
I mean, do you think Jonah looks like a well-put-together preacher entering into the city of Nineveh? Or do you think he looks like a man who has seen his better days? I'm suspecting that Jonah looked like a man who had seen his better days. I'm suspecting that if you looked at Jonah and his countenance and his spirit and his attitude with everything that he has encountered, I'm suspecting that if you looked at Jonah, you saw a man that was pretty rough in his appearance. And he begins to go throughout the, throughout the city with this simple message that in 40 days Nineveh will be overthrown. Nineveh will be overthrown. Now remember, this is a wicked, godless, unholy, unrighteous nation or or group of people. You you understand this, right? These are not God-fearing people who have just kind of gone astray in their walk with the Lord. No, these are ungodly, unrighteous, unholy individuals. And so here is a man walking through the cities with a simple message, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Humanly speaking, what should the city's response have been to the message of Jonah? Well, humanly speaking, it should have been dismissed. Humanly speaking, the people of Nineveh should have looked at this man who no doubt looked pretty rough and had seen his better days. Listening to this message about God and judgment and overthrowing the city, they should have, humanly speaking, completely dismissed the message that Jonah preached. But yet we understand from the scripture, if we know the story, that that is not at all how they responded. It says in verse number 5, So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. Here is what happened. Jonah begins preaching this message, and I think we could see from the text, I think we could make this point that it was a half-hearted approach to preaching in the first place. Okay, Jonah did not go in there with a passion, and Jonah did not go in there with a burden, and Jonah did not go to the city of Nineveh really hoping for a spiritual awakening to take place in the lives of these people. So here is Jonah. He is a man who looks tattered, who looks beat up, who looks rough. He is preaching this message of judgment without much of a heart, without much of a passion for the people, and yet the people believed God, and they proclaimed a fast, and they put on sackcloth or their mourner's clothes, and they did so from the the greatest even unto the least of them verse number six it says this for word came unto the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne and he laid his robe from him and covered him with sackcloth and sat in ashes and here's what the king said and he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles saying let neither man nor beast herd nor flock taste anything let them not uh, feed uh, nor drink water But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn every one from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? What were the words of the king? The words of the king were basically these. Let's change our ways. Let's repent And let's just see if God will change his mind and not destroy us. So that is the response from the king. And it goes from the king all the way to the lowest of the people. And it goes not just to the people, but it goes to the flocks, to the herds, to the livestock, to the animals. And notice in verse number 10 what it says. It says, And God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way. And God repented of the evil, or he changed his mind, 
that he had said that he would do unto them, and he did it not. What did Nineveh experience as a result of the preaching and the proclamation of the God of war, uh, the Word of God? What did Nineveh experience? Well, many of us would say it like this: they experienced a revival. Many would say something like this. They experienced a great spiritual awakening. They were not truly revived because it's not as though they had a relationship with God already. But here is what happened. They began to have a spiritual awareness of who God is. They began to understand their sinful condition before God. And they began to understand what that sinful condition was going to bring on them by way of God's judgment if they did not repent and if they did not change. And so as a result of hearing the message... They began to repent in hopes that maybe, just maybe, God would not destroy them. And in verse number 10, that's exactly what happened. God repented of the evil that he had said he would do unto them. Now again, let's think about this from a very human, normal, natural perspective. Jonah is a man who has been called by God to preach the word of God. Jonah is a man of God who has been called by God to preach the simple message that he gives him to the people of Nineveh. And this is the response of the Ninevites. Now, under normal circumstances, what preacher would not be thrilled? What preacher would not be excited? I mean, I'm going to do some preacher confessions this morning, okay? It doesn't take much to get preachers excited these days. (laughs) A preacher gets excited when visitors walk into a church service. They don't even have to come back. If they'll just show up once, preachers get excited. If they come back a second time, you don't know how that thrills a preacher. If, if the people keep coming back and they keep coming back and at some point they express some kind of interest in joining the church and being involved in the church, friends, that could be a six-month process. That could be a one-year process. Sometimes it's longer than that. And sometimes that in and of itself is enough for a preacher to hold on to to keep them encouraged and to keep them excited about working in the ministry that God has placed them in. It does not take much to keep preachers engaged and excited about the ministry that God has called them to. So again, under normal circumstances, imagine what it would be like if a preacher came into a town, a preacher came into a city, and they began to preach a message that they themselves thought was relatively simple. You talk about the study time for this message. It's almost non-existent. That's even better for a preacher. I don't have to study. I've just got to go in and say, Yet 40 days and none of us shall be overthrown. Just over and over and over. So imagine if a preacher goes into town, preaches a very simple message, a very simple approach, sometimes even a half-hearted approach, And imagine the city repenting and putting on sackcloth and putting ashes on themselves and beginning to cry out to God. Do you know what that would do to a preacher? That that preacher, in today's terminology, he'd be tweeting all over the place. 
just saw mass revival in the city of Nineveh. They would post it on Facebook. There would be pictures of the massive response. And friends, don't think for a moment that preacher would not be featured in all the fellowship meetings for the next few years to come. That's how it would work in today's society. Notice in verse number 1 of chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was very angry. You just saw, for lack of better words, revival come to the city of Nineveh. You just saw the king be broken over his sins. You just saw the king put out this decree and this order that, that, that we're not going to eat and we're not going to drink and we're not going to taste anything and we're going to turn from our evil ways and we're going to cry out to God and we're going to see if maybe God will change his mind and not do what he has said he's going to do. That is what Jonah just witnessed. And it says Jonah was displeased exceedingly and very angry. You understand the terminology here, don't you? Jonah is mad at God. Jonah is mad. He is mad at the results. He is mad at the fruit. He is mad at the repentance. He is mad that God is not going to wipe them out. See, in verse number 2, he says this, And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? You know what he said? He said, Lord, I knew you good enough to know this, that this is probably what you would do. I had an idea that this is what was going to happen. I just knew that this was, this was what was going to take place. He said, Therefore I fled before thee, uh, before unto Tarshish, for I knew thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. God, I, I had an idea. This was a fear of mine. I was concerned because I know you well enough to know that you're like gracious and merciful and kind and, and you're good and, and you don't always follow through with judgment. And, and, and God, I am not happy with you because you did not do what I think you should have done based upon my thought process, says Jonah. See, Jonah is saying, God, I think they ought to be destroyed. God, I think they ought to be wiped out. God, this is what I think. God, this is how I feel. God, this is, this is how I perceive things to be. And God, I just knew, after, you know, I, I've known you long enough to know that you're a kind, gracious God. And this is why I ran from you in the first place, because I, I, I just had this suspicion that, that you'd be gracious. And that if these people repented, you wouldn't destroy them. And I think they should have. And Jonah was exceedingly displeased, and he was angry. How upset was he? Well, in verse number 3, it says this, Jonah prayed, Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. You know what Jonah just said? God, I am begging you to kill me. Because it would be better for me to die than to see these people repent and not be destroyed by your judgment. Huh. I've already watched this happen. Some of us are shaking our heads. What an idiot, Jonah. 
You're right. What an idiot. You know what Jonah's problem was? Jonah expected God to do things based upon how Jonah thought they should be done. See, Jonah, I, I, I want to stress this, Jonah had his perception, Jonah had his, his, his ideas of what was supposed to happen. And when God did not function or perform according to how he thought he should function or perform, Jonah got mad and bent out of shape and said, I can't believe this, God, this is what I was fearful would happen. And God, as a result of this, I'd rather just die than to see this happen. Jonah, you're messed up. And Jonah, you're messed up in a bad kind of way. Because you think if God doesn't do it the way you think it's supposed to happen, you think you're right and God is wrong. That is foolish. Jonah, to think that you know better and that God is wrong because he didn't do it the way you think it ought to be done, that is absolutely foolish. Now, if you think about Jonah's reaction to the people's repentance and everything that happened, if you think about Jonah's attitude toward God and his anger and his begging to die because of this, if you think about it, here's what we see it is an amazing response. But if we're honest, we know this to be true. It's not that uncommon of a response. It's an amazing response, but it's not that uncommon of a response. Someone says, I don't know exactly what you mean. I don't know exactly what you're talking about. Well, let's think about this for just a couple of moments. When you and I got saved, there was great immaturity on our part, was there not, spiritually speaking? If you had any kind of spiritual discernment or understanding prior to your salvation of who God is and things of that nature, it was because of the influences that you had on your life, but it wasn't just your natural, raw understanding of who God is, okay? When we got saved, whenever we became a child of God, when this relationship formed, we were immature, to say the least. We didn't understand God. We didn't understand his ways. We didn't understand his thinking. And, and we didn't understand, you know, so many times why he was doing what he was doing. But, but kind of like the song was played a few minutes ago, through it all, you know, as we've gone through life, here is what has happened. You know, as we've grown and we've matured and we've developed in our relationship with the Lord, we've begun to understand certain things about how God thinks and about how God works. Would you agree this morning that you do have a better understanding of God and His ways and His thinking? Now, now that is not for a moment to suggest that we've got it figured out. That'd be like saying we've got our spouses completely figured out. It's just, it's not possible. It's not going to happen. And so here we are in our relationship with God, and I am thankful that I know now what I do and that I'm not still at the same maturity level today as I was at age 12 when I began my relationship with the Lord. 
So we have a better understanding of who God is. We have a better understanding of, of, of how God works and some of the ways He works. But let's be honest, sometimes God works in ways that we still to this day, to this moment right now in our lives, we don't understand it. God, I don't understand it. Now see, kind of like in the early days of marriage, and we didn't have much of a filter, or I'll say that of myself, I didn't have much of a filter, and I would just say whatever it was I was thinking, and I just blurted out and let the consequences be what they were. You know, as I aged and as I matured, I realized, okay, don't say everything you're thinking. Well, the same has happened in the spiritual life for many of us. Okay, so maybe in our early days we were more blunt and we were more honest and we were more transparent. And we'd say things like this, well, I don't understand why God's doing this. And I don't understand why God allowed this. And, and I don't know why God allowed it to take place in my life or in my family's life. And we were, we were more vocal with our lack of approval of God's dealings in our lives. But we got older. And we matured and we understood and we better understand today, okay, there are certain things you probably don't need to say out loud or else it will make you look really bad as a Christian. But let's be honest. That doesn't keep the thoughts from flying through our minds from time to time. Okay, I'll be honest. That doesn't keep me from having the thoughts fly through my mind from time to time. Thoughts like this. God, what are you doing? Now, somebody may say, you're a preacher. You should admit this. Okay, I'm just telling you, I am a preacher who happens to be made up of sinful flesh like everyone else. And so i got to be honest and tell you, there are moments in my life where I'm not just saying, praise the Lord. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. There are days, there are moments where if I'm honest, you know what I'd have to confess? I'm mad. Who are you mad at, Kyle? Truth be told, I'm mad at God. Why would you be mad at God? Because he didn't do what I think he ought to do. Truth be told, I think I know better than God. And so when God does not perform the way I think he ought to perform, I kind of get bent out of shape. Someone says, man, I, I, that's terrible. What do you mean? I'm just going to throw out a couple of preacher confessions, preacher examples, so that you can understand where I'm coming from, and then I'll get a little bit more pointed in just a moment, and we'll be done, okay? Last Christmas... You know where we live. We live in the Bible Belt. We, we live in the land where, where there are churches everywhere. And, and Christmas, if anyone goes to church at any time, when will it be? It will be Christmas. 
So last year it was Christmas, and last year we had begun our radio broadcast, and we had began our radio ministry, and I had put together this really impressive radio advertisement. The music was great. The wording was great. I ran it by Susie. Even she told me it was great. And we put it on the air, and it aired like a hundred and something times. And I thought, here we are in the Bible Belt. Everybody goes to church on Christmas. We put together this great radio advertisement. It's really short and direct and to the point, and, and I can't wait to see what kind of response we have Sunday. Man, Sunday rolled around and I got up with some excitement and some anticipation because I had the message that I was supposed to preach that Sunday and I was ready for all the visitors to come swarming in because they had heard the advertisements. It was the right time of year. You know how many visitors showed up that week? Not one. If you think I went home and said, well, praise the Lord, you give me far too much credit in my spiritual life. I was mad. How could we put forth this much effort, this much energy, and God not one response? God, you couldn't give us one visitor? Huh. I don't even know why I try. Heh. <laughs> As if he's worried about my attitude toward him. and Oh, shucks, he's upset. Yeah. But you know what my problem was? My problem was he didn't do what I thought he should have done. And so because he didn't respond the way I think he should have responded, I was angry. I don't know if you can identify with this. I don't know if you can understand my thought process as a pastor and as a preacher, but, but there are times when I'm studying and the Word of God begins to reveal itself and begins to make itself known by the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and man, I get excited about a text, and I get excited about what I'm going to be preaching, and, and, and I, I'm, man, I'm excited and I'm looking forward to it, and I stand behind the pulpit and I'm ready to preach it. And there are times that I have been preaching with everything I thought I had, humanly speaking, and what I thought the Lord had given me, and I'll just be very honest and transparent. Sometimes your response is less than enthusiastic to what I'm preaching. And there are times that I go home and my spirit is not, well, you know, these things happen. There's anger. God, you gave me the message, and God, this person didn't respond, or God, this family wasn't even there, or, or, or God, this didn't even happen. God, what are you doing with me? I'm sick of this. You understand what I'm talking about? There are times that I have in my mind, God, this is what I think you're supposed to do. And because you didn't do what I wanted you to do, God, you didn't do what I thought you should do. I don't say it out loud. I don't say it where people can hear it. But in my heart and in my mind, I'm wrestling with my anger and my attitude toward God. Now, you can sit here and say, well, pastor, man, I hate to hear that you struggle with this. But let's be honest, how many of us struggle with this in so many different areas of our life? How many of us have ever struggled in our finances and we've said something like this, God, I'm doing everything I know I'm supposed to do with the finances, and yet we continue to struggle. God, I don't even know why I'm doing it anymore. You know what you're saying? You're saying, God, you're not doing what I think you ought to be doing. I understand how it's supposed to work. I understand what your word has said. But, God, you're not coming through like I think you ought to be coming through. And so I'm just a little bit irritated right now. See, your problem is, is you're upset with God because God's not responding the way you think he ought to be responding. 
God, why don't you have to allow this health issue? Let's not pretend that we accept every affliction of our body with the grace we're supposed to accept it with. We've had our moments and we've had our days and we've had our times where we've cried out to God and we've said, God, what's going on here? God, I'm trying to do right. God, don't you see that I'm basically, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing and God, what you've shown me I'm supposed to be doing, I'm, I'm trying to do that. And, and God, again, we don't say this out loud because we're mature enough not to, but in our hearts and our minds we're wrestling with God, why are you letting this happen? Because He knows what He's doing. And we're struggling because we don't quite understand it because, truth be told, we don't think like him and we're never going to completely, entirely think like him. God, why is my family such a mess? God, you know that we raised these kids better than this. God, you know. God, you know that, that we had them in church. God, you know that, that, that they didn't see this kind of garbage at the house. God, you know. God, what's going on? No, hold on, hold on. Why are you mad at God? You're mad at God because God's not doing what you think he ought to be doing. See, here's Jonah, and he has this amazing response to God's reaction. God, I am angry. I am so angry that I'd rather die. I'm begging you to kill me. God, I'm, so, I'm just so mad because I thought this might be the response. God, I'm mad at you. It's amazing but it's not that uncommon. God, you're not blessing me the way I thought you would bless me. God, you're not doing what I thought you'd be doing. God, we're not seeing the victories we thought we'd be seeing. God, we're not seeing the, the, the whatever it is, fill in the blank. God, you're not performing the way I think you ought to perform, and I'm just a little upset right now. Let's listen. It is foolish for you and I to get angry with God. Amen. It is foolish. I just want to remind us this morning, as simple of a point as this is, I just want to remind us this morning that if God does something that we don't like, that is His prerogative. That is his ability to, to make decisions contrary to what we would want him to do in this situation. And it's possible. I'm not saying it's happening. I'm just saying it's possible. That there are some in this room this morning, and you're struggling with your attitude toward God. God, why did you allow this? God, why is this happening God, why is this taking place? God, why, 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 why? Can I just remind us this morning? You need to watch your attitude. You really need to watch your spirit toward God. I understand that we're not going to understand everything. You need to understand we're not going to understand everything. But you and I never, ever have a right to get mad at God because he doesn't do what we think he's supposed to do.
And if you're struggling, I would just encourage you to take a moment, in a moment, and say, God, please forgive me for my attitude. God, please forgive me for the spirit that I've been wrestling with. God, I don't want to be mad at you. I mean, that's, that is the last person we need to be angry at. And God, in, in the midst of this, though I don't understand what you're doing, God, I do want to trust in you. And God, I, I want to trust that you know what you're doing even when I don't begin to understand it. Be careful in your attitude with God when he does things that you don't understand. Let's all stand this morning and bow our heads for a word of prayer. Fathers, I come to you this morning. I pray that I pray that there'd be no one here this morning who is wrestling with their attitude, who is wrestling with their heart or their their spirit towards you. 